Uh, anyway, all that to say, uh, y'all ready to jump in on our passage? If you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and then 2 Samuel 13, we'll continue our study of 2 Samuel, looking at the, the life of uh, Absalom and uh, uh, the passage that we've gotten to today. This is one of those passages, remember, Scripture says, all Scriptures God-breathed and useful for teaching and training in righteousness. This is a teaching and training in righteousness verse because we're going to talk about your inner circle, and it's a very, very biblical thing uh, to have a high value on your inner circle. First question today as we get started uh, is, who is your best friend? and when did you decide to give them that role, all right? Uh, who's your best friend, and when did you decide to give them that role? Um, this is a good Mother's Day question because for most of us, our first best friend was who? It was mom, right? Uh, mom was first best friend because of close proximity, right? And uh, uh, that very much was the case for me. Mom, I love you very much. My mom uh, was at the Kentucky Derby yesterday, uh, crossing that off her bucket list. I've not heard from her since the race, and so, uh, Mom, if, uh, if you bet on that 80 to 1 shot, congratulations. And uh, mom, a loan shark has broken your knees. Call me. All right. I need to know. All right. Just need to know. Anyway, so uh, just a great experience for her there. Mom was my first best friend. My second best friend was a guy named Kyle Jones uh, in Graham, Texas. And if you've never done this before, this is kind of a fun thing to do. You should chart your best friend list over the years uh, and who held that office through time. It's kind of fun. And so I charted this week my best friends and then what we had as our main thing in common through that time period. Uh, Kyle Jones and I were best friends, and uh, we had in common up until we, I was uh, about seven years old in Graham, Texas, and we had in common Top Gun and riding bikes. Those were our two favorite things, which is kind of cool because Top Gun is coming back around this month uh, with the new Maverick movie, and so uh, Jonathan Wilson held the office next. We played a lot of basketball and video games together. Cleo Andrews, we uh, played football uh, and did uh, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes together in high school. He's one of my groomsmen and still one of my dearest friends to this day. I had three friends in college, Matt, Aaron, and Calvin. And uh, what we used to do is we would get together. We were the nerds that we started a history. We were in a history class together our freshman year. And then we would take a class uh, every year together and uh, that we would just kind of go through a history class. And then we were the nerds that played Risk on the weekends. You know, you know who you are. Some of you still do that. It was so much fun. Had a great time. Uh, and then uh, I met a beautiful young woman named Autumn Randalls. And she has been the Autumn Hughes at the time, and she has been the title holder of best friend for the last 18 years, all right? Uh, so again, you go through seeing how it comes together, what you have in common, uh, and then uh, you get to the point as you get a little bit older where it's uh, proximity plays a piece in the puzzle, uh, but you really get to choose who it is that fills that role. It's a very godly thing uh, to be picky about your inner circle, all right? And I want to prove that to you today. Look at Luke chapter 6. And now let's read verses 12 through 16. This is Jesus' inner circle. It says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Look at this. And he spent the whole night praying to God. Underline, he spent the whole night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Now stop right there for just a second. You know how a lot of friendships come together? It's just random. It's a roll of the dice. Notice here with Jesus, he is connected to a whole lot of people, but he spends all night 
praying about who to let into that inner circle. Some of you need to know that. Proximity plays a piece to it. Accessibility plays a piece in the puzzle. But at the end of the day, those who you really allow to speak truth into your life, you need to be picky about who those people are. Look at what it says in verse 14. Simon, who he named Peter, the brother of Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and of course, Judas Iscariot, who had become a traitor. You have this situation where Jesus sits down, and even though there are a lot of people that are around him, he truly reveals himself to these 12. If you're taking notes, write this down. Again, kind of what we've said already. It is a very biblical thing to be picky about your inner circle. Let me say that again. It is a very biblical thing to be picky about your inner circle. If you don't believe me, all right? Sometimes you can think, how is one friend any different than another? Uh, have you ever bought flavored jelly beans before, like the assorted pack of flavored jelly beans? Some of you would say, well, you know, it's all just sugar, right? It's all just jelly beans. I can tell you, not all flavored jelly beans are created equal, all right? You ever gotten the popcorn jelly bean before? That might be the most disgusting taste I've ever put in my mouth. And if you follow it up with licorice jelly bean, man, I'm telling you, your taste buds just absolutely explode. You got to be picky about it because uh, not all friends are our good or good for you in that circumstance. So our big million dollar question we're going to look at today, this is a friendship message. Who should we think twice about allowing in our inner circle? Who should we think twice about allowing in our inner circle? Now, the way I preach here at Waterfront, for those of you who are new here, um, one of the things we do is we start at the top of the passage and we work our way down. We don't skip any verses because just like I said, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and training in righteousness. The passage we're looking at today, we analyze specifically how David's household gets him the information that Amnon, his son, has been killed by his other son, Absalom. And David does not have a healthy inner circle at this point. That's kind of been the running theme of 2 Samuel chapter 13 and really chapter 12 even before this. David's inner circle is not healthy. And so today we get to watch the way he gets difficult information and the way that it's processed, the way that they process the whole situation here with Absalom killing Amnon, uh, it's just not a good deal. And so we're going to learn from David today. And my hope is for some of you, this might be an opportunity for you to know Number one, look at the ones that you allow into your inner circle, and some of them don't need to be shut out, but they need more rigid boundaries so that it can be a healthy relationship. And then for some of you, some of you may, as we go through a few of these things today, go, mm, that's me. There's some things I need to clean up in the way that I'm a friend to someone else, and maybe you can respond in a godly way. Are you ready? Now flip over. 2 Samuel 13. We're going to start in verse 30. This is how David gets the report of Absalom killing his brother Amnon uh, for uh, the rape of his sister Tamar. I mean, there's just an absolute family mess here. The inner circle is in complete turmoil, and we're going to see how the information comes in. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 30 and 31. How, who should we think twice about allowing into our inner circle? Verse 30. It says, while they were on their way. This is talking about uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, David's other sons. Absalom has killed Amnon, 
But we're about to find out all the sons were there, all the king's sons were there, uh, and it's starting to look like it might have been a coup. Here's what happens. Verse 30, it says, while they were on their way, the sons that had escaped, the report came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Underline all the king's sons, not one of them is left. So the king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn as well. Stop right there for just a minute. All the king's sons are not dead here. Only Amnon is dead. But because the inner circle is so dysfunctional, somebody just runs in and shares the absolute worst case scenario. And David at this point has no reason not to believe it. It's someone that he's trusted. And all of a sudden he's given false information. If you're taking notes, write this down. Who should we think twice allowing in our inner circle? Number one, those who present speculation as fact. Those who present speculation as fact. Here's what they basically said. Because David is the king, by saying that all the king's sons have been killed without verifying that information, they basically have just told David, hey, there's a coup that's taken place. Absalom has killed all his brothers so that he can claim the one and only right to the throne. And now they've got no other move than to march here and to kill everyone in the palace. David needs to be at an eight in this situation emotionally. What the report has done has taken him to a 15. Now here's the key. There are going to be people around you that speculate and that stir the pot. But in your inner circle, you need to have some people that will speak the truth to you and not stir you up. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? On days that require swift reaction with lasting impact. It is incredibly important not to overreact. On days that require swift reaction with lasting impact, it is incredibly important not to overreact. Now, just for the record, this doesn't just go for people in your inner circle. I think that this could very much go for articles that you read, shows that you watch, people that you allow to speak truth into your life. If it is speculation and it takes you from an 8 to a 10 when you need to be at an 8... I want to encourage you, really consider those sources and why you are allowing them to work you up. When we do that, it can create an incredible mess. Sadly, I've been on both sides of that. I've been the one that uh, offered a level head, and then I've also been the one, sadly, who has worked people up needlessly. So back in the day, um, worked as a youth minister, my very first youth ministry job, I was the part-time interim youth minister at First Baptist Church in Post, Texas. Uh, Post is famous uh, because uh, of the oil community, uh, but it also is famous because of Post Toasties. There was a guy named C.W. Post. Uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist that wanted to find the perfect food uh, that was healthy, and so he came up with cornflakes, uh, Post Toasties. And uh, sure enough, this little town was named after him. In fact, the church was on the same street with the C.W. Post Mansion. Uh, the road was so big, they had to bring in these huge logs uh, to build the C.W. Post Mansion. And so the, the road now serves as the parking lot for the church because it's just so massive and so big. Well, anyway, uh, go to Post. Uh, Post was, uh, for any of you who uh, understand West Texas geography, it's right on the edge of what's called the Cap Rock, all right? Uh, flat Great Plains area at the top. The Cap Rock is kind of the step down, and then you go into a little bit more rocky terrain. That's why it was a great place to uh, look for oil. And so all that to say... Um, the uh, oil community's big there. I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, which was 45 minutes away, but we were a big cotton community, and Texas Tech University is there. Uh, and then, uh, again, you had this oil community. Very, very different upbringing. I knew just enough to be dangerous in the oil community. 
And so one time, um, again, I'm the youth minister at the church, um, and we had shown up at 5 o'clock in the morning because we were going to take the kids and post four and a half hours away uh, to Arlington, Texas to go to Six Flags. Some of you appreciate that. Andrew, you're from that area. You know Six Flags over Texas. And so it's a four and a half hour drive each way. When you're in post, you got nothing to do, all right? And so that nine-hour drive. And uh, so we get there early in the morning. Autumn and I are just dating. And when you come off the Cap Rock, there is something that looks like a big oil well with a flame coming across the top of that, uh, of that what seems like an oil well. Well, here's the deal. An oil well on fire is a really big deal, okay? But this thing at the edge of the Cap Rock is something called a flare, all right? A flare burns constantly, small controlled flame that is always there. But at five o'clock in the morning, it's the first time I've ever made the drive to post in the dark. And so as I'm driving in, we get to the cap rock and I look over and I'm like, oh, looks like an oil well's on fire. And so we get to the church, we're loading all the kids up and I just go, hey guys, did y'all see that oil well that was on fire at the top of the hill? And all of a sudden, all these kids come together. I mean, junior high boys and girls looking and they're like, where was it? Which one? Whose property line? Because for them, they're versed in that and they fully understand it. And so they come up and they're like, where was it? And one of the kids goes, a junior high boy, he goes, I need to get on the phone to my dad right now. Runs the phone, gets on there. He goes, dad, youth minister said that there's an oil well that's on fire. We got to make sure we take care of it. And all of a sudden he goes, where was it? Where was it, Zach? And I said, well, you know, it's right there when you come off the hill. I go, it wasn't a really big flame. And all of a sudden I hear this junior high boy go, dad wants to know if you mean the flare at the top of the hill that burns constantly. And I go, yeah, that's it. It was the flare. And this junior high boy on the phone goes, false alarm, dad. He's just an idiot. And then hangs up the phone. <laughs> They never let me live that down. In fact, when I went to raise money more than a decade later for Waterfront, they brought up that story. Hey, you remember when you thought the flare was an oil well on fire? Yep, I remember, all right? <sighs> Situation in this case that was a zero, and I took it to a 10, right? With those individuals, you need to know, when it comes to speculation, in your inner circle, whether it be a person that's in your life or whether it be where you get your information, um, someone who presents speculation as fact to work you up, that's not a godly situation. That person doesn't need to be cut out of your life altogether. But you need to put in parameters and boundaries so that it is a healthy situation. Um, it begs the question, are all your sources credible or, you, or do you allow yourself to be needlessly stirred up? Let me say that again. Are all your sources credible or do you allow yourself to be needlessly stirred up? Again, those people have a place in your life, but it is not in your inner circle. Now look at what happens next. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 13, and let's read verses 32 through 36. 2 Samuel 13, 32. It says, but Jonadab, son of Shemaiah. Now stop there for just a minute. For those of you who've been on this crazy journey with Absalom with us, this is the same Jonadab. He, he rears his ugly head again. This is the same Jonadab that talked Amnon into putting the plan together to go after his sister Tamar that ends in a sexual assault. This guy, all of a sudden he appears. He appears nowhere else in all of scripture except twice in very important circumstances in David's inner circle in 2 Samuel chapter 13. All of a sudden, Jonadab, the cousin, right, shows up and it says, uh, the cousin, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, my Lord, you shouldn't think that he's killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. 
how in the world could he know that? Because he had been part of the uh, he had been part of understanding the plot that was taking place. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's expressed intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My lord, the king should not be concerned about uh, the king uh, should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Don't worry, only Amnon is dead. While Absalom had fled. Now the man standing watch looked up and saw many people on the road west of him coming down the side of the hill. The watchman went and told the king, I see men coming in the direction of Honorium on the side of the hill. Jonadab said to the king, see, the king's sons are here. It happened just as your servant said. I told you it was just Amnon that's dead. No big deal. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in wailing loudly and the king too and his servants all wept bitterly. Stop right there for just a minute. With Jonadab being the king's nephew, the only way he gets a shot at the throne is if there is a coup and all of the king's sons have been killed. He's like eight or nine down the road for him to have a shot at the throne. And so for him, it is in his best interest for there to be destruction and chaos in the house of David. Why in the world is that joker on the inner circle? He only benefits if the family falls apart. I want to encourage you. There are certain people in your life that they benefit from chaos taking place around you. They have a place in your life, but not close to you in your inner circle because the advice they give is deeply tainted. What should Jonadab have done if he knew that Amnon was going to be killed? All he had to do, let's go backwards to last week, last week's passage all he had to do when, when Absalom called and said, David, come to the sheep shearing festival. And then all of a sudden David goes, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then he goes, well, then make sure Amnon and the brothers show up at this thing. And when they all go, all Jonadab had to do was go, uh, David, you should probably go to this one. You should probably show up at this. He didn't even have to tell the reason why. But all he had to do, if he really was a friend, if he really was someone on the inner circle that wondered what was best for David's household, a man, could have, a man could have not been killed and there could have been reconciliation on what had happened in the Tamar situation. Justice could have been served for the woman that was sexually assaulted. And instead, he sits back and goes, I'm just going to see this hand play out. I know the pieces. I'm just going to watch this play out and maybe just maybe it ends up with me on the throne at the end of the day in this thing. Maybe killing Absalom away from having an opportunity at the kingship. If you're taking notes, write this down. You ready? Who should we think twice about allowing in our inner circle? Number one, those who present speculation as fact. And number two, those who are a partner to chaos. Those who are a partner to chaos. Sometimes this means with friendships in your life, drawing a boundary around specific issues in your life or specific areas so that you know their advice may be just a bit tainted. I know it's Mother's Day, but I'm going to give you this example. And mom, I apologize, but it's just the truth, all right? For those of you who moved here from another place and you live in D.C., but your family lives somewhere else, when something goes awry in your career... Do not expect your mom or dad to give you good advice on that situation. Do you know why? Because every time something runs awry, my mom is always like, you should just move home. All right, quit that job and you should just move home. Some of you had that experience before? Okay, again, level-headed on so many other things. But that issue is just like, you know what, you should move home. I got a hangnail to move home. I'm just, 
right? My mom will seriously send me job opportunities in Texas repeatedly. And I'm like, mom, we planted a church in DC for crying out loud. We can't leave, all right? All that's to say, so many good issues. But for that, mom kind of rooting for chaos, so that then you can end up back home and you can end up close. Not bad on all issues, but you need to know who it is that you're letting in on your inner circle. When it comes to work issues, talk to somebody who understands that's separate from the scenario so that they can offer you some real, genuine advice. Similar, you ever had a situation where you started dating someone? You've been single? You started dating someone? There are some single friends that you have that are truly, deeply selfless, and I could name some of you in this room that fall in that category. But there's others you know they are rooting for the demise of your relationship because they want you to be close. They don't want what you have as friends to go away or to go anywhere else. I want to encourage you. If you try to speak and to gain insight in that situation from somebody that you know desires to be with someone, but they can't offer you unbiased advice, by asking you are being cruel to that person. You hear me? By asking you or being cruel to that person. Now, there are some of you that can absolutely handle it. You know who they are. But don't just be the person that throws it out because you've got a new relationship and they just happen to be in close proximity. Be kind. It begs this uh, statement. Are you ready? Do not waste your trust on people who are more than willing to watch you struggle <laughs> more than to warn you. Okay, let me say that one more time. Do not waste your trust on people who are more willing to watch you struggle than to warn you. When it comes to time of difficulty, Jonadab should have told David. If he truly was good in the inner circle, he should have said something. And instead, he's offering comfort on the back end where it caused every person in David's court to scratch their head and go, so you let Amnon die? So you let him die? It just doesn't make any sense. Another mom example. Um, one of my favorite stories about my mom happened at a swimming pool one time. I was just a kid, and this is back in the day when you'd wear the floaties. Remember the floaties? Just kind of stick them up on your arms. Now they're kind of, they don't use the floaties anymore because they're very dangerous. Uh, if you jump in the water the wrong way, whew, I mean, that thing can just shoot off your body and you get in trouble. And so uh, back in the day, this was kind of before the life jacket craze that we have now. Uh, so I'm wearing those floaties. We're at my grandmother's, uh, the, the pool by my grandmother's house. And uh, we called it my grandmother's pool back in the day. It was like a whole bunch of people's pool, but we called it hers. And uh, I remember we go to swim and uh, jump in the water. I think I'm four or five years old, didn't know how to swim yet. And I jump in and stuck my arm up. And sure enough, shoo, one of the floaties shot off. But the scary part was the other laid on. And so that meant that my arm is up in the air. But because of where the floaty is, the water line is just above my nose and my mouth. And my head is still above the water. It's super dangerous because it looks like I'm out of the water, but I was completely trapped underneath the water. And I remember, even as a four or five-year-old, thinking, I'm going to drown. I'm in real trouble here. And I start looking around for help, but you can't yell. There's a whole bunch of kids in the water, and so nobody can hear. I'm not even I'm splashing, but nobody can see it. And sure enough, my mom is watching. My mom is vigilant. And what does she do? She take, jumps out of the chair, jumps in the water, takes me into her arms, and she lifts me up and sets me on the side. She saved my life that day. You know what a friend that loves chaos does? They see you struggle, and they go, I'll save them, but when I'm good and ready. After they've struggled for just a while, that person 
has a place in your life, but it is not in your inner circle. Do you hear me? That person that will just let you struggle as you are flailing about and in deep, desperate need. That is not a person that you need to let close. For those of you in this room who are in a marriage relationship or a long-term relationship, there is never a situation when you would allow them to stay under the water and go, yeah, I'll help them when I'm good and ready. You jump in as a true follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who loves that individual. If you can rescue them, you jump in to rescue them, not covering up wrongs. We're going to talk about that in a second. But truly jump in to rescue them. If you don't believe me, look at Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. Save your spot in 2 Samuel. Look at Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12. The writer here makes a pretty steep claim that's pretty good for us to look into. Look at this, Proverbs 24, 11. It says, rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards the slaughter. I, if, if, I were, or if you say, but we knew nothing about this. The idea is, oh, I had no idea this was going on when you actually did. It says, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Stop right there for just a minute. God powerfully comes in on this side and says, "Uh, if you knew and you didn't do anything, then I will judge you and repay you for the wickedness that you've done. That's a pretty steep command that we get right there uh, from God Almighty. You got to know, if you could do something for someone that you deeply care for, if you could rescue, if you could step in, if you could keep them from being in a moment of trouble, he says at the end of this, if you don't, there's judgment that falls on your head. Not just in this this life, but also in the life to come. It begs two questions. Number one, should you warn someone about something? Should you warn someone about something? Is there information that you are sitting on for someone that you have claimed that you love, for someone you claim that you care for, that you need to step in and share information with them? You need to let them know something is coming, and you need to really uh, be on the lookout for this. And the second side is, did someone close to you leave you exposed? Did someone close to you leave you exposed? There's some of you in this room, and there are people you have in your inner circle And there is information that's come to you that they had previously, and you feel a bit like you went in for a high five and they left you hanging. You ever had that happen before? I mean, that is a terrible, terrible feeling, isn't it? To just when you come in and you're like, hey, I was putting my hand in my pocket. Just I don't know why I went up here, but I was going to do it, right? Or in this city, you ever gone to shake somebody's hand and they didn't put their hand out to shake it back? I mean, that is disrespectful. It's uncomfortable. It's humiliating. The idea is those people still have a place in your life. You still have to work with some of them. They still have a place. If we're honest, you're still related to some of them. But the boundaries, the boundaries that you draw around those relationships, if you are giving them unfettered access to you, to your thoughts, to your life, that's on you and it's not on them. Draw the boundaries, set up the fences, and make sure that it's a healthy situation. And then now we get into our last verses. Look with me, if you will, at 2 Samuel 13. And now let's look at verses 37 through 39. It says, So Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud. I want you to underline uh, Talmai, the son of Amahud, the king of Geshur, and just write this down. That's Absalom's grandpa, all right? This is Absalom's grandpa. That might as well say that because that's, they give the title here, uh, but the truth is he goes and he hides out at his grandpa's house. It says, but the king, David, mourned for his son every day. And after Absalom fled, 
he went to Gesher, and look at this. He stayed there three years. Underline, he stayed there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Now, don't miss this. Are you ready? At first glance, it looks like what the king of Gesher, Absalom's grandpa, it looks like what he's done is a good thing. He's housing his son while he waits to get to go back home. But don't miss this. Absalom murdered his brother. He murdered his own brother. And so the king of Gesher, instead of saying, son, you got to step up and justice has to be served. Instead, we know from previous passages, the king of Gesher hated David. David married his daughter and he did not feel like David took care of his household in the right way. And so he housed Absalom, and instead of Absalom stepping up and then having to navigate through and, and deal with the justice of his situation of murdering his own brother, instead, the grandpa enables Absalom to live in that sin, and it eventually, as we're going to study about in the weeks to come, will cause a rift in the nation that will split the house of David. What he does here is not good. It is incredibly wicked. He becomes a wickedness enabler in his life. If you're taking notes, write this down. Who should we think twice about allowing in our inner circle? Number one, those who present speculation as fact. Number two, those who are partner to chaos. And number three, those who enable the wicked to avoid justice. Those who enable the wicked to avoid justice. At first glance, it looks like the king of Gesher is doing a good thing here. In all actuality, he is enabling the wickedness of Absalom, and he's enabling him to avoid justice in this situation. In your inner circle, there are some of you who have people around you that enjoy being close to you, but they are enabling bad things to happen in your life. They are enabling bad behavior, horrible decisions, and in some cases, let's just be honest, addiction. My dad, when I was in junior high, I'll never forget, he sat me down and he had the talk with me. This was a different talk than the one you're thinking of. He had the don't do drugs talk with me. You remember that time? Some of you had that talk with your parents? The don't do drugs talk with my dad went this way. I'm in the sixth grade, about to go into middle school, and he goes, son, I want you to know I have never done an illegal drug in my entire life. And I said, wow, Dad, I said, that's amazing. And he looked at me and he goes, do you know why I have never done an illegal drug in my life? And I said, why? And he goes, because I'll turn you in. He said, my body language, he said, my attitude for anyone, he goes, when they look at my eyes and I can see that they're pushing something, he said, my eyes and body language say, if you try to push that junk on me, I'll turn you in. And then he looked at me and goes, and if you ever bring it into my house, I'll call the cops and I'll turn you in too. And I was like, oh my goodness, yes, sir. All right, gotcha. Got it, for sure. And can I tell you, I've never done an illegal drug in my life either. I do love my caffeine, all right? There are, there are substances that I use, caffeine, and I'm telling you, uh, but I've never done an illegal drug in my entire life because I remembered that principle. Now, I share that with you just to say this. Your dealer, I mean, when you go to rehab, the first thing they do is they have you break up with your dealers, with the ones who are your suppliers. You know Why? Because that person has a vested interest in the chaos in your life. And for them, they are enabling the wickedness to continue in yours. I want to encourage you. That person does not need to be on your inner circle. 
if they enable the bad behavior or even just serve as a rest stop for you in the mess? If you want to take notes, here's a good question for you. Uh, maybe this is the jewel for you to take away today. You ready? Are you a place for the wicked to repent or to refuel in their journey? Let me say that again. Are you a place for the wicked to repent or to refuel in their journey. A truly good friend worthy of the inner circle is one that when someone is tied up in something that is harming them or is harming others, you provide an opportunity for repentance, not a place for them to rest and refuel so they can go out and do more wickedness. If we do that, then we are guilty of great sin. In fact, Paul writes it this way. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read you verses 11 through 13. Powerful verses for us to remember in parenting, in friendship, when someone close to us is tied up in a mess. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Ephesians, yeah, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. It says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, look at this, but rather expose them. Now, that last part is the one that we kind of leave off sometimes. Have nothing to do uh, with the fruitless deeds of darkness is something that was easy for us to do. But in a relationship with someone that we deeply love, that we deeply care for, where they've gotten tied up in a mess, the best thing you can do is bring it into the light. When you don't, in many cases, you are enabling that bad behavior to continue, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. We've got to have a point where we love those that are in our inner circle, that we are in their inner circle so much that we can share the truth with them for the goal of there being peace and not chaos, and so that the trouble and the wickedness is no longer enabled. I've got a feeling that when we stand before the Lord, like Proverbs chapter 24 says, I think some of us are going to be absolutely shocked at how seriously God took the enabling of wickedness. When we could have done something, said something, and instead we served as a spot for people to refuel when they went on to do awful things. It begs the question again, are you a place for the wicked to repent or to refuel in their journey? We are in the light and shadowy things cannot position themselves near us. Thanks for listening today. This was kind of a different Mother's Day message. It's just where we hit in the passage. And I think for some of you today, maybe this was a point where the Spirit stirred you, and it's a time to really stop and process. Who am I letting close, and do I need to set some boundaries? Do I need to make this a healthier situation? Thanks for listening. Let's bow our heads for prayer.